Hey there, everybody. Thanks for joining us today. You know, Waters Church exists to see people's lives changed in the name of Jesus. And if you'd like to be a part of that life change that happens here every week, both in person and online, you can partner with us financially. Just go to waterschurch.org give and select the giving option that works best for you. Thanks again for joining us, and we hope you enjoy today's message. single week. I want us to be the kind of church, and, and I really do want this, where we just look forward to coming into the house of God every single week. I would love that. Lines out the door trying to get in here because we know something happens here that's special. Finish this bomb and let's go home. Dude, you have no shot. Thanks. Oof. There was nothing. Woo -hoo -hoo. Ha -ha. Woo! Ah! Ah! Mary Jane! Mary Jane? Spider-Man! Help! Oh my goodness! Ah! 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 I'm gonna die! Oh, oh. Too high, too high! I'm afraid of heights! Ah! There you go. I almost died back there. That's what you get for falling asleep in church, bro. Yeah, 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 I get all that, but can you help me get out of here, please? Not my problem. Figure it out, big timer. Wait! Ugh, come on! Things are different here, man. It doesn't matter what month you go to church, and when you enter into the house of the Lord, where the Spirit of the Lord is, God's going to do amazing things. Life change is going to happen, and we see it here this summer. So I'm so excited, and I'm excited to be presenting week three of At The Movies. And of course, we're going to watch a couple of clips because we are at the movies. I know you couldn't bring popcorn in here, but um, we got to watch some, some Rocky. And plus, by the way, I worked like five times harder than the other guys on this because there's only one Braveheart. There's only one Shawshank Redemption. There's like, what, 11 or 12 Rockies, something like that. At one point, I had to pray. I was just kind of praying to the Lord. I received a word from him and... I had to sit down with my wife and be like, babe, listen, Lord spoke to me, and I got to watch them all. <laughs> I, gotta, I cannot present this unless I watch them all. I need like a week straight solitude from the kids, a couple half gallons of ice cream to just do the Lord's work and have it done. Rocky, one, two, three, four, five, Balboa, Creed, just watch Rambo just to be safe, make sure that's in there, right? <laughs> Uh, no, I didn't really do that. But as this was, this was so much fun to prepare for this message because the story of Rocky is so inspiring. Um, and I don't know if, some, if any of you know this, but Rocky Balboa, played by Sylvester Stallone, he also wrote and directed the entire movie. And when I found that out, I was kind of, you know, I wanted to look into that more and just about how, like, how the story came to be to begin with. And I found out that it's an amazing story. Turns out the movie was, uh, came out in 1976. Sylvester Stallone was about 30 years old, and he was broke. So broke, had nothing, living in New York. At one point, he, had, he took some of his wife's jewelry and sold it to get, ex-wife now, sold it, <laughs> sold it to get money to eat, and was just totally broke, taking anything he had. Eventually, he took him and his dog, Buttkiss. They moved to California. I have a picture of Rocky and Buttkiss. There also, that's all he had. Him and his little pup there. 
They moved to California. Things didn't get better from there. He had no money to eat. Eventually, he hit rock bottom to the point where he was sitting outside of a liquor store selling his dog, trying to sell his dog for 25 bucks, 40 bucks, 50 bucks to get some food to eat because you don't want to eat your dog, obviously. So he's selling his dog. Eventually, he sells his dog. He has nothing. And he's sitting somewhere. I don't know where. He was sitting somewhere watching TV. I don't know where they had TVs in 1976. Because we have them everywhere now. I don't know where they were then. Or if they, were they color? Did you have color? Right, never mind. Um, he saw that one of the most famous fights, um, as far as underdogs are concerned, Muhammad Ali versus Chuck Wepner. Some of you might know this fight. Chuck Wepner, Muhammad Ali being the greatest boxer of all time, and Chuck Wepner basically being someone's grandpa, going up against the champ, right? He was like this old, you know, bumbling, clumsy white dude facing Muhammad Ali, and no one thought he had a chance. And the fight goes, and Wepner goes 15 rounds, lasts 15 rounds with Muhammad Ali, even knocks him to the, to the canvas at one point. He doesn't win, but, but Stallone watches that match and gets so inspired, he writes the entire Rocky script in like three days. Three days, writes the whole script. Now he's got this amazing story, goes to bring it to producers. People love the story. They're going to offer him tens of thousands of dollars for this story. And keep in mind, Rocky's broke. He has no money. But none of them want him to play the Rocky part. Because he insists, I've got to play the main character. And they're like, dude, you don't have, you're not an actor. You might be a writer. You're not an actor. You don't look like you got the lip thing going <laughs> sideways. And seriously, they told him that, that you don't look the part. You can't do it. You're not an actor, man. Maybe, sure, you wrote the script, but you're not cut out for this acting part. And he refused. He turned down tens of thousands of dollars until finally a producer agreed, all right, fine, here's some money. You can play Rocky, but you only get a million-dollar budget. And if anyone knows anything about Hollywood, a million dollars does not get you very far. million bucks. One month later, the entire Rocky movie is filmed. In one month, using handheld cameras half the time, family members playing parts in the movie, just totally thrown together. Long story short, the film releases and makes $200 million. $200 million. And since then, the Rocky series has grossed over $1 billion. A billion dollars from a guy who was so broke, sold his dog, had nothing, and got inspired and refused to let people tell him no, tell him that he was a failure, tell him that he couldn't hack it, and now look where it is. It's so amazing. And then when you look back, you, you watch Rocky, you see so many parallels of the story of Rocky in Stallone's actual life. Like he actually went through that, some of that, that underdog story. And that's, it kind of brought this big question to my mind of why do we love the Rocky story so much? Why does it resonate with our hearts so much? You know, it just, it just sinks in. We love it so much. And so that's what we're going to explore a little bit today. But before we do, I just want to open in prayer and let the Lord direct our time together. So let's uh, bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this time. We thank you for your word, and we thank you uh, for being here in our presence, Lord. We ask that you would open our hearts and our minds to hear what you have to say to us, that we wouldn't leave this place the same way we came. Father, help us to see Jesus in, in everything we talk about here, even a, a Hollywood movie, Lord. Help us to see the gospel and see the light and the beauty and the glory of your son, Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. All right, so the title of my message is The Underdog Gospel, because I am not very creative. <laughs> um, so, you know, I think part of, part of what draws us to these stories, these types of stories, are, are that we can all relate to them in some way. 
The rocky story is relatable. I think every single one of us have experienced underdogness in some way, shape, or form in your life. Maybe a big way, maybe a small way, but I think we've all experienced it. And I think that's what causes us to immediately just relate to, to where Rocky is. And I want to show you, start by showing you a, a, a clip from Rocky 1 um, that I think paints a good picture of, of the type of underdog mentality that surrounded Rocky and what people thought of him and, and what he had to deal with. So let's watch this first clip. You can see uh, what Rocky's life is like. training at that gym for six years and gets his locker taken over, his stuff, gear stuffed in a sweaty bag on the wall. And even his trainer, even his own trainer of six years basically says, you're a bum, you're a failure. You hear him? You're a tomato. You're a tomato. And how many know it's one thing to get disqualified, to be disqualified by someone like a complete stranger who doesn't know you, you don't know them, their words don't mean all that much to you, right? But it's a totally different thing to be disqualified by a friend, a family member, someone who knows you, someone who knows your strengths and your weaknesses, right? There's always someone out there to count you out, isn't there? Point one, if you're taking notes, uh, because all note takers go to heaven. Um, <laughs> point one, everybody has been disqualified by somebody. You've all been disqualified by somebody, whether you know it or not. Maybe you're the black sheep of your family in some way, right? The only person who's not a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer, right? Maybe you're, you're in school now or you were in school recently where you're the kind of the lonely kid, the only kid at the lunch table, the last kid picked in dodgeball kind of thing, the one struggling with grades, can't keep up with your siblings, can't keep up with family members or friends. You know, you're always the one at work or, or in your, your circle that's left out of the group chat or the work parties, or the Instagram group selfie, right? Always on the outside looking in. Always the third wheel, always the fifth wheel out on date nights, you know, can't feel like you're always going to be single the rest of your life. Somewhere in your life, you're the one that doesn't make the cut. Either you think so or someone has told you that someone has disqualified you and said, you can't hack it in this area. And you know who else faced this kind of disqualification in his life? Jesus. 
I heard someone like rumble Jesus. Yeah, we are going to talk about Jesus today. He, this guy faced so much disqualification, he never had a cheerleading squad behind him saying, Jesus, Jesus, if he's our man. They, they, he never had that. He was surrounded by people. And keep in mind, he started his ministry when he was 30 years old. So mo- the first 30 years of his life, he was a boy, a teenager, and grew up, and then he was a carpenter for a while. So people knew Jesus not as this like crazy healing guy, you know, miracle man, all this stuff. They knew him as a carpenter. And then it went, at 30 years old, he starts this crazy new ministry. He starts calling a bunch of random dudes to come follow him and starts healing people. And, and there's a lot of hype around town. There's a lot of uh, talk around town of, of what is this guy doing? So I want to read from Mark chapter 3 just a couple of verses here that, that I think show, give a good picture similar to that Rocky clip of what Jesus was like. So if you look at Mark, 30, Mark 3, 20 to 22, it says, Then the multitude, multitude being a large crowd, came together again so that they, Jesus and the disciples, could not so much as eat bread. But when his own people heard about this, they went out to lay hold of him, for they said, He is out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebub, and the ruler of the demon, by the ruler of the demons, he casts out demons. Jesus, it says his own people here in verse 21. That's why I like the New King James. If you read ESV or some of the other ones, it says his family. His family said, you're out of your mind. He's out of his mind. Get him back. Drag him back in the house. Get him out of there. Because these people knew Jesus as the carpenter boy, right? And so I can just picture them saying to him, Jesus, what are you doing? You're throwing your life away. Doing, like you have this nice carpenter company, you know, inherit your dad's work, whatever. And now you're, you're out. You haven't eaten in days because all these people are all around you all the time. You haven't texted mom or dad in who knows how long. Right? You're hanging around a bunch of losers now that are following you. You're around the wrong crowd. You're on a downward slope. Jesus, you're going to wreck your life, man. What are you doing? He was surrounded where his own family was saying he's out of his mind. And scribes from Jerusalem, who Jerusalem being where the temple is, they should know about the Old Testament. The prophets, they didn't have a New Testament, so they're reading the Old Testament. They should know about who the Messiah is and about what the prophets say. And they're calling the guy who really is the Messiah that he has demonic spirits in him. Talk about being disqualified from something. They're saying, saying he's the opposite of who he really is. And the same thing happens when Jesus is calling his disciples in John chapter 1, sort of parallel. Again, the beginning of his ministry, he calls Philip. Philip calls Nathaniel and says, Nathaniel, bro, I think I found the Messiah, the, people, the, the guy the prophets speak of, Jesus, the, Jesus of Nazareth. I think he's the one. And what does Nathaniel say? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Right? He disqualifies Jesus from the beginning. Doesn't even care what the Old Testament says. Doesn't care about any of that. Just knows Nazareth is a dump. Couldn't, and nothing good could possibly come from there. Jesus couldn't possibly come from Nazareth. Right? And we still do this today. We still make judgments on people based on where they're from. Whether we say it out loud or not. We judge people based on where they're from, what they look like, where they work, their political standing. Right? We do that's like me coming out here and saying, All right, guys, we have a special guest speaker for you today. The Messiah himself, the great Jesus of Attleboro. And then all you North Attleboro snobs, stand up. Right? Can anything good come out of Attleboro? And then walk out. Right? That's we do that in our hearts, whether we believe it or not. There's we 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 judge people from where they're from, right? Can anything good come from a Republican? Can anything good come out of a Democrat? Can anything good, don't answer that. Can anything good come out of a teenager? 
right? We just, no matter where people are at in their life, if we find out who they are, what family they're from, what town they're from, what they do for a living, we make judgments and we say, that person could never be. That person could never do. Whether we say it or not, we, those things kind of rise up in our hearts. And no one knew the feeling of disqualification better than Jesus. That's all he faced. That's all he had around him. No one was, no one was ever cheering him on besides the Father. So naturally, when we're disqualified by someone, what's our first response? It's not to, you know, our first response is not in the wise words of the great theologian Taylor Swift, shake it off, right? That's not our first, that's not our first response. We're not, our first response isn't to just, eh, no big deal, right? I don't care what those people think about me. They can think that. No, our first response is, wait, they say what about me? I got to prove them wrong i got to prove them wrong. i got to show them that I'm not the person they say that I am. i got to show them that I don't do those things that they think I do or I don't believe those things they think I believe. We want to prove them wrong right away. Right? Or we just want to create a good reputation before anyone can think badly about us. Anytime we hear about some, how someone has judged us. So that leads me to point number two. Everybody has something to prove. If you insist that you have nothing to prove, then you're trying to prove that you have nothing to prove and therefore you have something to prove. Okay? Glad we took care of that. And if you know the story of Rocky at all, you know that, that Rocky's one of the most humble movie characters out there. I think that's what makes him so lovable, right? He's just so humble all the time. I love, there's a spot in Rocky 1 where he's interviewing and, uh, before the match with Apollo, and one of the reporters is like, Rocky, do you have any derogatory comments for Apollo? And Rocky's like, yeah, he's great. He's like, that's all he says, just, yeah, Apollo's a good fighter, you know? I'm just going to uh, try my best and, you know, give it the best shot. And training up with Mick, chasing some chickens around, and let's see what I can do, you know. That's all I'm going to do. Yeah. I, I watched this movie 15 times. I've got to try an impression here, you know. <laughs> That's as good as it's going to get. I'm sorry. Even the humble Rocky Balboa had some internal conflicts, though. You know, you might see him as humble. But there's a spot in the movie where you, he kind of exposes the, the fact that he wants a little bit of glory too. So I want to watch that next clip. This is the night before his miracle title match with Apollo Creed. Check it out.
so hard. Yeah, it don't matter, because I was nobody before. Don't say that. Oh, come on, Adrian, it's true. I was nobody. That don't matter either, you know? Because I was thinking, it really don't matter if I lose this fight. It really don't matter if this guy opens my head again. All I want to do is go to distance. Nobody's ever gone the distance with Creed. And if I can go that distance, you're seeing that bell rings and I'm still standing. I'm going to know for the first time in my life, you see. I weren't just another bum from the neighbor. I don't know if you caught that last part. It's kind of low, but he said, you know, if I go the distance with Apollo, last of 15 rounds, I'll know for the first time in my life, basically be able to prove that I'm not just another bum from the neighborhood. So you see there, even in just that two-minute clip, you see Rocky kind of the internal conflict inside him. The first half of the clip, he's talking about, who am I kidding? I can't beat him. I don't have a shot. He's going to kick my face in. And then the second half, he's like, I just want to go the distance and show him that I can beat him, that I can go the distance, that I'm not actually a nobody, that I prove that I'm not another bum from the neighborhood. Right? You see the conflict, even in Rocky, even in, despite his humble heart. And we do the same thing, right? We all want to wear a championship belt of some sort about something. When we feel someone is judged us. We want to prove them wrong. We want to show the opposite. I need to buy this house or buy that car or go on this vacation or whatever so I can prove that I'm wealthy, prove that I have enough money, that I'm good with my money, right? I want to wear the title belt of awesome vacations, something like that. I need to post 8 million snaps and use all kinds of filters on my Instagram selfies so that people know that I am in fact beautiful that I am in fact desirable despite what people say about me, despite how I feel about myself sometimes, that I, I, want, I need to prove myself. This is a good one. I need to micromanage my kids till the day they die because someone told me one time that I, or my parents told me that I wasn't going to be a good parent, so I got to make sure that my kids don't ever sin, don't ever do anything wrong, good luck, don't ever make any mistakes. My whole family is successful and perfect. I got to prove to everyone that I'm a good parent because someone told me otherwise once doesn't matter what it is. I need to lose weight. I need to get a job. I need to get a spouse. I need to buy this. Go there so that I can prove somebody wrong. Sometimes you're just trying to prove yourself wrong, your own self-doubt. Sometimes you're even trying to prove God wrong. And I think this is why the underdog story resonates so much with our hearts because we see Rocky like, Rocky's going to prove them all wrong. That's so exciting. It's almost like we see some of our dreams, some of our uh, retaliation of people's judgments satisfied in, in the story of Rocky, right? But that doesn't necessarily mean it's a healthy feeling. And how many know that no matter how, who you try and disprove, who you try and, and, you know, establish a good reputation with, there's always someone who's still not impressed, right? Who's someone who still thinks you're not who you say you are. And we drive ourselves crazy trying to prove other people wrong. Don't we? I think that we as Americans and just we as a people of mankind, so many people are sick because of stress, physically sick 
because of stress. And they're so physically and mentally and emotionally stressed because they have expectations of other people. And every day they wake up and say, I have to prove such and such wrong because so-and-so thinks this about me and I got to do this, this, and this. And we're driving ourselves to death, literally. Suicide rates going up because people are trying desperately to prove themselves and they live their entire lives trying to prove themselves to someone. And the Word of God says that's no way to live. Jesus says that's no way to live. I mean, Jesus was out to prove something too, believe it or not. You might think he's the Son of God. What did he have to prove? You just know. But he was out to prove something too. The difference was it wasn't for his own gain and it wasn't for his own legacy. He was out to prove the Father's love for us. Right? If we look at Luke 19.10, it says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost, to seek, to find you, and rescue you. Matthew 20, 25 to 28, it says, Jesus called them to him, called his disciples over, and said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you must be your servant, and whoever would be first among you must be your slave. Check this out. Even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve. And to what? Give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus came to lose his life for our sake. A bunch of people who every day we wake up and our default response of life is to strive to prove people wrong, right? Strive for a title belt and something in life. Jesus came and laid down his title belt, laid down his crown to give us ultimately the opportunity to be champions in his name. Let's put it this way. Jesus didn't come to establish his reputation. He came to establish our salvation, right? Let me say that again. You can tweet that if you want. Um, <laughs> Jesus, Jesus came to, not to establish his reputation. Jesus came to establish our salvation. What do I mean by that? Three things to be specific. First, Jesus proved that salvation is total. I'm going to run through a few scriptures here that kind of support what I'm about to say. Acts 2.21, and it shall come to pass that who? Everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for who? All people. All people. That means everyone. 1 John 2.2, 2, he himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of who? All the world. Salvation is total. God loves and desires salvation for every single one of us, every single person in this room. So don't you dare think that your sin is so bad that it has excluded you from the love of the Father. Don't you dare think that your sin or something you've experienced or something you've done has pushed you so far away that God's mighty hand of grace cannot reach you. That is the, the word from the enemy speaking into your life that you don't have a chance with God and that he doesn't want you. That's a lie. The scriptures say otherwise. The life and the cross of Jesus Christ say otherwise. The second thing is that Jesus proved salvation is final. I love this scripture from Hebrews 10, one of my favorites. Every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. This is talking about kind of the Old Testament rituals. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he what? He sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Salvation is final. Jesus, when he offered that sacrifice, he sat down at the right hand of the Father. What do you do? When you sit down, that means you're done. Work is finished. That's why he said on the cross, he said, it is finished. So just like salvation is total, don't, don't think that your sin 
pushes you too far. Salvation is final. Don't think that once you are saved, once you have received the gift of salvation, that you need to do anything else to maintain that salvation. You weren't good enough to, to earn your salvation. Why would you be good enough to lose it? You are guaranteed and sealed by the Holy Spirit that God has chosen you and selected you and you have received that gift. And this says, the scriptures say, the life of Jesus says that salvation is total, salvation is final. It's a guarantee if you would receive that gift. And finally, see, Jesus proved that salvation is unconditional. Total, final, and unconditional. Romans 5, 6. For, while we, for when we were still without strength, in due time, Christ died for who? The ungodly. That's us, you and I. But God demonstrates, this is verse 8, God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then Romans 8, we know, probably many of you know this one. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing else in all creation. That means God's love is unconditional. That means you don't need to clean yourself up before you come and you receive the gift of salvation. You come as you are. We just sang it. The Father's arms are open wide. Forgiveness is found in the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's where forgiveness is found. So if you're sitting here today, maybe some of you are sitting here making a list in your head of the things that you need to do to clean yourself up before you're finally ready. Okay, I think I'm ready to become a Christian today. I'm ready. I finally have cleaned up a little bit. I'm ready to, to do this new thing. Stop. That's the work of the enemy in your heart saying, you need to do this, this, and this before you can be saved, which is called works righteousness, which is not the gospel. The gospel is unconditional salvation. That basically says that the cross wasn't enough for your sin. If you say, I got to accept Jesus, but I also got to do this, this, and this, then you're saying the cross was not enough payment. And the scriptures say that it was. Jesus said it is finished on the cross. Amen. I hope this is bringing life to your bones like it is mine. I, I love these scriptures and this promise from, from the scriptures of our unconditional total and final salvation. And it's so important that we understand the differences between our underdog mentality versus Jesus' underdog mentality because our underdog mentality is to prove people wrong, right? We want to do something ultimately for our glory, for our pride. Prove them wrong so that I feel better about myself and people know that I'm awesome. Jesus' underdog mentality is I'm going to do what the Father says. I'm going to lay down my crown. I'm going to lay down my title belt so that those who I am dying for have the opportunity for salvation. And as we see in the movie, even the extremely likable Rocky wants some glory, right? Just like we want some glory. You know, we, have, we all have a plan. It's almost like, think of it, don't use, don't, let, don't use God to accomplish your plan. Let God use you to accomplish his plan, right? Big difference there. Don't use God to accomplish your plan. Let God use you to accomplish his plan. That's the difference of underdog mentality between us and between Jesus. And we see in the movie, even Rocky gets his glory, because he goes the distance with Apollo, lasts all 15 rounds, right? And then if you know Rocky too, he gets that rematch with Apollo, goes another 15 rounds, this time knocks him out in the last round, finally gets the title belt, and all of our underdog-loving, movie-watching dreams come true. Rocky finally gets that title, right? To me, it seems like every big fight Rocky wins, I fall in love with his character more and more. Like, 
just every big fight, every fight gets better and better and more dramatic and the music and everything. It's just so exciting. But I think the best fight is the one against Clubber Lang in Rocky III. That's my opinion. I love this fight with Clubber Lang in Rocky III. The reason I love it is because there's a strategy behind the fight. Stallone takes the, the Rocky takes the couple, first couple rounds, lets, you know, Clubber Lang's like beating up on him basically makes it look like Clubber's going to win this again. He's going to destroy Rocky again. And then he strikes when he's not expecting it. And the last round specifically is so powerful and such a perfect imagery of the gospel. I want you to see it. So let's watch this third and final clip from Rocky 3. How good is that? This is so good. It takes everything in me up here to not dodge punches. It's just like they got to tighten up because I'm twitching and everything. It's so good. Why is that so satisfying to, to, see that, to see that victory, right? To see Rocky win the title back against Clubber Lang in such awesome fashion. Well, the answer is I made it into a point. It's point three. Because everybody longs for a life of victory. Everybody longs for a life of victory. No, we don't want to walk in defeat every day, do we? 
You know, we don't want to get beat down all the time. We want to purge every negative judgment from everyone's mind around us, even our own. We want to purge every negative circumstance from our lives, right? Just positive energy only ever. But the truth is we can't, can we? There is so little that we are in control of. We can't control what other people think about us as hard as we try. We can't even control what you think about you sometimes, right? How the heck are you going to control what other people think about you? You can't control the, the cards that you're dealt in life. You can't hand them in and say, I don't like my 7-2 offsuit. I want something better, you know? You can't control so many things that are around you. And so when we see Rocky rise to victory, it's almost like our triumph our defeat gets turned around and, and we see some triumph realized, our dreams realized in his victory. Unfortunately, Rocky's victory is largely fictional. The victory of the cross, however, is not. The victory of the cross is a true story. Because after living his life, his entire life as an underdog, Jesus went to the cross and died for you and I, for our salvation, our total, final, and unconditional salvation, right? And you know what the beautiful thing about the cross was is that it was a strategy. The cross was a strategy because on that dark Friday afternoon, it looked like death had won again, didn't it? When Jesus was hanging on the cross, no breath left in his lungs, It looked like the grave, the number one seed grave. Picture an NCAA tournament bracket, right? Grave, the number one, Jesus, number 16. You might as well put the grave down in in the middle right there because ain't nobody defeated the grave yet. Jesus could go maybe a round or two and then you can cross him off. And that's what it looked like on Friday afternoon. Jesus hanging on the cross. Grave, number one seed, one again. And then a couple of days pass, right? Just enough, just enough for the enemy to think it had won. Like Clubber said, this round is mine. And then what happens on day three? Jesus is risen. Just a little fun fact. You see what round Rocky won in? Round three. It might be a total coincidence, but that'll preach, baby. But seriously, on the third day, God struck a knockout blow to the forces of death, the forces of darkness, the forces of evil, when he looked down on his son and he said, rise and receive your crown. Jesus died. He laid down his crown, his title belt, lived the underdog life and died so that we might have the opportunity to live life of champions. Jesus did. Look at this last scripture. I love it. You guys know this one. 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who what? Gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. The two most important words in this scripture are gives us. Notice how it doesn't say who helps us with, helps us get the victory gives us the victory. Like I said, it's a gift. It's a total, final, unconditional gift. You might be in an underdog season currently. 
You might be getting beat down. You might have lived through that. You might be trying to prove someone wrong. Every single day you wake up trying to prove someone wrong, trying to restore a reputation of some sort. Maybe you're just on a moral, this desperate moral path to try and prove God wrong, to try and prove yourself wrong, your own self-doubt. Stop. We're broken people in a broken world, and you're never going to prove yourself worthy. Certainly not to other people, and really not to God. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And maybe you need to just surrender and receive the victory that is found in the name of Jesus. There's no greater name. There's no greater name. Today can be the day where you surrender that. You stop trying to prove yourself wrong. You stop trying to prove someone else wrong. And you say, Jesus already lived it, died it, so that I can receive his life, his power into my life and I can have a life of victory, a life of a champion through him. Amen, somebody? Come on, stand together.